AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. You're listening to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nass Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dolly Ericoglu. Hello! This is our final installment from our special three-part episode series, I Deserve This, which celebrates all the ways we travel for ourselves, whether it's by furthering our education, finding a private slice of peace and quiet, or simply spending those hard-earned savings guilt-free. For this week's chat, we're catching up with freediver and spearfisher Kimmy Werner. Based in Hawaii, Werner has both won awards and garnered a major internet following for her trips to the bottom of the ocean, often diving as deep as 150 feet on a single breath with only her spear for company. Thanks for joining us, Kimmy. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm going to kick things off with, I'm sure to you feels like a very big question, um, but one that I think a lot of people who do not grow up on or by the ocean uh, would be fascinated by, which is, how on earth did you get into freediving in the first place? I got introduced to freediving when I was about maybe five years old. And it was my dad who introduced it to me because that's what he would do. He would go freediving to go spearfishing simply to put food on the table. And so we didn't have a whole bunch of money back then. And um, and that's how he fed us. My My mom was a waitress and... Um, And my dad was really trying his hardest to kind of start a construction company that was a slow start. And so to make ends meet, he would go out and hold his breath and dive down in the ocean and catch us dinner. And when I was about five years old, instead of, you know, hiring a babysitter and having to spend the money on that, he just started taking me with him. What are those sort of early memories like of catching fish? Do you remember catching the fish? Were you successful? I did not catch any fish. <laughs> I, I was just a tag along. The memories I have are, are just these like montages of just beautiful colors and sensations of just what it felt like to feel so weightless and be in this beautiful ocean where you can just feel like you're flying because you're so high up above the bottom of the ocean and the sense of wonder of watching my dad dive down and come back up with my favorite dinners. I mean, those are my memories. I was too little to really use a spear or try and catch fish, but I just, I just absorbed it all. I just watched what he was doing. I definitely tried holding my breath and got to practice a lot of swimming. And I think that was just the foundation that, um, that set me up to much later in life, really become a freediver and spearfisher myself. 
I feel like freediving can be considered quite an intense and high adrenaline activity, at least the concept of it, going and diving that deep. But I know that that freaking out underwater is not really conducive to freediving. Um, so how do you find the calm now to really get as deep as you do and stay underwater? That is everything. I mean, that really is absolutely everything. If you panic or even if you're just too excited, um, it's not really going to work in your favor as far as being able to hold your breath and go deep and, you know, do what you need to do. So it is a practice. It is something I have to intentionally reach for is that is that calm, especially, you know, when you're seeing like a huge fish or you're seeing exciting things or you're kind of fighting currents or you feel fear. It's something you have to tap into. And so the way I find it, it's kind of like a meditative routine I go through. But first, I really just appreciate the sensation of floating. And I just tell my whole body, just surrender. You know, this is like the one time it's like you're in space, like that you're not on land anymore. You're not so, so heavy. You're not having to use all your muscles to hold yourself up, like turn it over to the ocean, surrender. If you're going to float, really float, you know, every single muscle you are off right now from my ankles to my neck, to my jaw, to everything. It's like, just relax a little bit deeper and surrender that job to the ocean. And what a beautiful feeling that is to then, you know, metaphorically and literally just feel 100% completely supported because this ocean is just holding you up and your only job is to breathe. And there's something about that part where I instantly relax into it because it's quiet. There's no cars going by. There's no people talking. My my own head finally is quiet because I'm present. All I can hear, and it's almost amplified by my snorkel, you know, going from my mouth past my ear up to air. I can hear my breath just. Don't you just feel relaxed already? I mean, and I just do that over and over again. As I surrender, like I said, every part of physical effort to floating in the ocean, I just focus on my breath. And I just do that over and over again until I can, I can feel like it's almost like this, this whole Zen-like feeling come over my entire body. It almost looks like I could honestly like take a nap sometimes right there. And that's when I know I'm ready to dive. Letting yourself float and sort of, as you said, surrender yourself to the ocean almost sounds like a trust exercise of sorts. How did you learn to trust the ocean? How did you kind of give into it and start to relax? I mean, I do think that, that it probably does have to do largely in part because of those very early childhood memories. And... Um, and I bet that having my dad right there next to me was also a big part of that because I do remember when I was really little, 
feeling so afraid of these same things that now make me relax, feeling so afraid when I would see how far away the bottom was and therefore how deep of water we're in. And sometimes I would just feel like, oh, I can't, I can't swim. I can't swim anymore because I'm scared. I can't touch. And, um, and my dad would really have to drill it into me that if you can swim in three feet of water, you can swim in 3000 feet of water. And all you have to do is relax. And he would repeat that to me over and over again. And he would also do, you know, some funny little tricks. Sometimes we would get, we would get to the place where we'd be going diving and we'd have to climb down these crazy cliffs to then jump off these rocks and then be in deep water. And all of that was kind of intense, but my mom would drive us and drop us off at the cliffs. And my dad would always put on this whole act where he'd look over me as look over at me as soon as the car would stop and he would just like wipe his head and say, whew, aren't you happy? We just made it through the most dangerous part of our day. <laughs> and I'd be like, what? And he'd be like, the car ride. Don't you get it? That's the most dangerous part of our day and we survived. Like it's all, it's all going to get easier from here. And I, as a little kid, I knew what he was doing. I could totally see through the whole act that he was putting on. <laughs> but at the same time, he did it over and over again and then I actually started to understand that there is so much truth to that, you know, and that um, that there's uncertainty and there's danger in everything we do. Driving a car from point A to point B, definitely being one of them. But we we learn to navigate. And that's what I started doing, you know, alongside my dad in the ocean. And so I definitely think it was a huge part of being a little kid, having your dad be like Superman to you and thinking that as long as he's right there next to you, nothing could ever hurt you. Because again, later on, when I returned to spearfishing, I took a big break from freediving because um, that was something we did when my dad needed to feed us. It only lasted a couple years because once my parents started making good money, which came shortly after, that whole part of our life kind of went away and we grew up very civilized. And so I just, I had all these crazy memories, you know, of this rural life that I just loved. And it wasn't until I was 24 years old, not even living on the same island as my parents anymore, that I just realized like, those were the best moments of my whole life. And I have to go see about this. And so I started trying to remember what my dad did and see if it was something I could do at 24. And when I went back out into the ocean and back out into the deep with the spear, I was scared all over again. And now I didn't have my dad right next to me. And so I actually had to play little tricks on myself and pretend he was right there. I would sometimes imagine his silhouette, you know, um, and then naturally I started to remember that trust with the ocean, to remember that bond and to develop it further. But it definitely was a process, a slow process of venturing out a little further and a little further, again, playing a lot of tricks on myself. And I, I remember one time when I was scared, you know, this like wave broke in front of me. And when it broke, I saw bubbles and it triggered a memory because one thing I remembered when I was little is sometimes I would get distracted and see something really pretty or look at a turtle and look back up and look around and my dad was nowhere in sight and that would be really scary. And I'd have to look at the very edge of my vision to see if I could see the bubbles left by his fins. And cause that was my job, keep up. You know, he didn't look back a whole lot. And as soon as I saw the bubbles, I just felt like, okay, 
there's my dad, swim, swim so fast in that direction, you're going to be okay. And so then even as a grown adult, sometimes when a wave would break and I'd see bubbles, I'd feel this calm and the panic would go away. And so that's when I just realized, you know, anything you can do to get your mind to just give yourself that much more trust, that much more calm, that's what you have to do. And I think that is the most important thing because ultimately there's nothing that panic is ever going to do that's good for you in that situation. I still have fear to this day. Fear is something that it can be it can be a healthy pulse reader, check-in point, stuff like that, but it's how do you respond to that fear? Are you just going to react with panic or are you going to respond with a calm actual solution? In those years since you reconnected with spearfishing and with freediving, what is it that keeps you going back to it now that it's, you know, become a major part of your life? It's so much. Oh my gosh. It really is so much. It it's the it's the quiet button in my mind. It is like the one place where I feel like the minute I stick my head underwater, this is my time and I am not thinking about all the other things in life I'm trying to figure out. I'm not thinking about any problems that I'm I'm, you know, trying to solve. I am present. And to me, it's just like that is the greatest gift you can ever give yourself in life is to be truly present. So I would say that number one is what keeps me coming back is the fact that I need a good, you know, dose of just presence to make me happy in this life. But there's so many other things. I mean, just just the ocean in general at this point in my life, it's like this living beautiful mother being that I almost feel like it, you know, she raised me, she's seen me through my absolute lowest lows and, um, and my highest victories and all of that. And, you know, I mean, I just, I don't know how to say it without sounding cheesy, but when you have something that has seen you, not just through your greatest accomplishments, but through your very darkest moments and has given you this love and sense of self, throughout it, that is what unconditional love is to me. And so it really has just become this relationship that I feel like I just, I need, you know? I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. How has your relationship with the ocean and these years of freediving and spearfishing shifted your perspectives on life on land? I mean, it is... It is exactly that. It's how to respond to fear and how to respond to uncertainty. And I almost feel like I'm so much better at it in the ocean. And sometimes when I encounter 
problems or fear on land, I have to tell myself, it's just like a shark, Kimmy. You know what to do. And really, that makes it so much less scary to me. And and whether it's going on a stage to speak, whether it's not being treated fairly, you know, in work or in any situation, whether you you know, aren't being valued or you don't feel worthy, whether you're about to do something important and you're afraid you're going to fail, anything, whether you're, you're going to be late and you can't control that. Um, there's so many things every single day that trigger us into this very reactive mode that usually doesn't make things better. When you're in an argument and you're just reacting and reacting it only escalates it and makes it worse. And so what the ocean has taught me, I mean, when I see a big shark, my triggered reaction is going to tell me to do what I see on movies. Swim away, splash, yell for help or scream shark. What is that really going to do to help me? Nothing at all. I can't outswim a shark. You know, panicking is not going to help. And so... It's the same thing online. If you're late for work and you can't find your keys, freaking out and, you know, and just going crazy about it isn't going to make them come there any quicker. And the same in conversations and the same in in just having to to talk about things that are hard or not comfortable. I really just think that so many times when we get triggered There's a reaction, a fake solution, which is just a reaction right there on the tip of your tongue or or right there in your actions. And it's almost always not the right thing. (laughs) And, And so again, that's what the ocean teaches me, that when something happens, whatever that first like knee jerk reaction is, question it and usually... Do the opposite. <laughs> Wait, I have a quick question. Just, I don't think that I will encounter this or maybe I will, who knows. Um, but what do you actually do when you see a shark? I swim towards it. I swim towards it. Um, and that is something that took me a lot of times of swimming away, of kicking backwards, of all these other reactions to realize that I only made the situation worse. I only you know, only triggered that shark to be more aggressive, only acted more like panicked prey than to just hold my ground. And so sometimes you don't even have to swim towards it as long as you don't swim away and you just look at the shark. You just face the shark. You just square up with the shark calmly. That's usually enough to tell that shark, like, okay, hey, like, I'm here, you're here, it's cool, you know? Um, But... But sometimes if that shark's coming in hot at you, I know it's scary. I know it feels like playing chicken, but that's exactly what you need to do. Instead of just running away, swimming away, pulling back, you just calmly need to swim towards that shark. And, and it's just, it's so true. Like that's one thing that I've learned in hunting so much is that when I'm trying to get a fish, I never swim towards the fish. And that's what all beginners do. Like they, they, they're, they're trying to hold their breath And they know they only have so much time. So as soon as they see a fish, they're just like beelining it straight to the fish because they don't want to run out of breath. And it's like, well, that's not going to work. And that fish is just (laughs) (laughs) long gone. They just see this big, you know, crazy, like clumsy seal like thing, like just splashing its way towards them. And you think they're going to hang around? No. And so what I do is I 
I breathe up, I get as calm as I can. I almost to the point where I said, I feel like I could take a nap, I'm so calm. And then I go and I lay down and I just kind of lay there and I almost pretend I'm taking a nap. And I do things to pique the curiosity of the fish and then they're gonna come in towards me. And that's why I'm able to catch fish. And so being that, you know, even with a shark that is a bigger fish, it's just, it's the same theory, but you're applying the opposite, you know, technique where basically if I want that shark to come in, then I should be acting like, like I'm hiding, like I'm scared, you know, but, you know, panic is a whole nother thing. Cause that then that can trigger something in them. But if I want it to hold a good distance, then I should just calmly swim towards it because that's what, you know, that's what predators do is they'll come in to check out other predators. They'll come in to check out their prey. You know, you want to, you don't want to act like a scared, wounded prey. So I swim towards the shark. (laughs) That's amazing. I kind of want to go back to what you were saying about the ocean being like a nurturing, mothering figure for you. Obviously, you have recently had a son, Buddy. He is so precious. Um, Thank you. And I know you've spent a lot of time already introducing him to the water on boat trips and stuff. Can you tell I follow you on Instagram? Um, (laughs) What do you hope that he learns by spending so much time on the water? Oh, I just hope he learns that he's never alone. (laughs) It's so crazy. Being a mom makes me so emotional. (laughs) But um, I do. I hope he learns that he's never alone, that I will have that kid's back till the day that I die and beyond. But even long after I'm gone, I want him to always have a place of belonging. And so I think because, you know, the ocean is where I get that connection from. It's so natural for me to introduce that to him and want to give him this place of comfort and fun and exercise and joy and and all of these things early on so that it is so a part of his core that no matter where he is in the world or you know where where I am or he is in life that if he needs to feel connected to something hopefully he can just get in the ocean and and if it's not the ocean you know if it's if it's the forest, if it's the mountains, if whatever it is for him, I just want to nurture him knowing that he belongs. Obviously, you can't take him with you at six months old uh, diving. What does that time now where you can be relatively on your own mean with a newborn? It means everything. It has become so much more important to me, And I didn't even think that was possible because it has been such a passion for so long. And it was one where I wasn't sure what that would mean, how much of it I would have to give up. And it's so true. I, I can't take him with me underwater. And I don't have necessarily the freedom to go, you know, just whenever I want to. But but I'm really lucky that I do have a great support system of a wonderful husband who understands and shares. I, I taught this Minnesota boy that I married how to free dive a spearfish and he 
loves it so much. And so he also shares this passion. And so I think because he understands it so much and he understands how vital it is for me being happy when the ocean is nice, when it's beautiful, when it is just one of those epic days where he knows that I can't possibly be thinking about anything else except what it's like under there. He will do daddy duties and tell me to just go, you know, and then the next day, if it's nice, I'll, I'll take over and tell him to just go. But it means everything. It means so much more to me now because I'm not spoiled with, I mean, you know, before I feel like I just, I had that option whenever I wanted it. Most of my work trips were based around diving and, you know, being filmed diving. And it was just, I was so saturated within this passion where that's just what I did. And I loved it. But now that it is something that I really have to cherish as like this sacred and special resource of joy, um, it's like, it's crazy because I feel like it's made me a better diver. And that is something that I didn't expect. But but now when I, the minute I hit the water, like, first of all, I know I'm on a clock. I mean, most of the times I only have a couple hours before I have to go back and breastfeed him, you know? And, um, and so it makes every single second, like that much more important, that much more valuable, that much more appreciated. And I didn't even realize that I could tune in that much more to free diving as a craft, as a, as a passion. But, um, but it's been crazy. Like I honestly feel like since being a mom, my diving, my spearfishing, all of that has improved because I don't take a single second for granted. And I, it's just so necessary. It is just, you know what I like about you? It's my time <laughs> right now. I, I, there's going to be a point, maybe when he turns five, where I'll probably put him on my back and bring him with me. And I I bet you life will teach me that that's even more magical then. But for now, it's my time. It's like once I cross this boundary of below sea level, it's like, Goodbye, buddy. Goodbye, everybody. Like, it's mama's turn. And I liked it like that for now. (laughs) I feel like that is a perfect place to wrap up. For people who want to keep up with your diving, your spearfishing, your cooking with Buddy, uh, where can they find you on social media? I would say the biggest thing I'm excited about right now for people following along, it's our YouTube channel, which is new. It's only a couple months old, but man, we are just having so much fun making it. It's just been so cool. And we do everything with Buddy in tow. Some days it's just cooking what we have, you know, usually the fish that we recently caught and it's, you know, a little recipe driven. Other days it's just all out diving adventures and you know and doing all these things climbing down cliffs jumping in the water going out to dinner um it's everything that is our real life and i think that would be um the most fun to follow so that's just kimmy warner on youtube i'm also on instagram at i'm kimmy swimmy <laughs> i'm at oh hey there mayor i'm at lale hannah 
be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram and subscribe to our newsletters, which will be linked in the show notes and links to Kimmy's Instagram and YouTube channel will be there as well. And we'll talk to you next week. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> 